Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast episode number 49. And again, like since it's easy for them, since they're suffering from the curse of greatness and they think that it's easy, that it should be easy for um, a beginner dancer to just catch on really quickly and understand everything that goes into that particular move that's a little bit over their heads, you know? Yeah, and I want to I wanna draw a clear distinction here. There's teachers who are frustrated because they can't break down things and they know that there's something missing there. And then there's teachers who legitimately are unaware that this is something someone could have a problem with. And the correlation that I found is generally the more talented the dancer is, the harder time they have thinking about the breakdown or deconstruction and understanding why it's a problem for other people. Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast, the podcast dedicated to inspiring dancers worldwide whose hearts have been touched by music and dance. The universal language of dance and music is spoken by many of us throughout the world. We want to motivate the dancer in you by sharing stories, insights, and ideas to enhance your journey. Join us now with your host, Charles Ogar. Hello, hello, everyone. This is Charles with the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast. And thanks so much for tuning in this week for another episode. Um, this week, we have my friend Laura Riva on the line again. Um, she's been on the podcast several times, and it is really a pleasure and an honor to have her on the podcast. I know she doesn't like me giving her accolades about her brain and the way that she writes, but man oh man oh man it's it's really really insightful and i love that she challenges and pushes the limits of my dance intelligence it's i don't know like i just this blog that we're going to be talking about today is about the the twin curses of greatness and incompetence and i read it and i was kind of like speechless in my brain and then i was like okay we're doing a podcast on this and then it's like the more you like peel back the layers of the blog, like the more your awareness increases. I don't know. It's really crazy. But um, we really appreciate you, Laura Riva, for all that you have written so far. Um, it's something's going to happen that's going to be really impactful to the dancing because this talent cannot go unnoticed. And so I'm really, really happy to have you on my podcast and use my platform to help you in any way, shape, or form to kind of help exposure for 
for your talent and your insight in dance. Thank you, Charles, for having me back. It's always a pleasure. Always so humble. <laughs> okay, so this blog. So where do I begin? Incompetence. I think you started off with incompetence in the dancing and you kind of paint the picture of how beginners are really, really sometimes and I, and I mean this with a lot of love because we do a lot to help people get inspired through dance and encouraged to dance but sometimes they can be clueless about their skill they could be just lacking a lot of self-awareness about um, what they know and their skill level and things like that in the last podcast that we recorded Laura we talked about the advanced dancers and their superpowers you know and how you have to withdraw from the source of like intelligence and technique and, and knowledge from your particular dancing to kind of get to that particular level. But sometimes you say, or I'm sorry, the point I wanted to make was that advanced is relative to where you are, you know, um, because if it's a local scene versus an international scene, then your skill level can definitely vary, you know, and it, it's, it's self-awareness um, of what your skill level is on like that big spectrum. So this kind of, points that deepness down into another level of self-awareness and we all kind of start off as as being incompetent and we're going to talk about the four stages of learning in a bit but um can you tell us a little bit about i guess the history or the story behind the blog because it's always refreshing to hear that and i'm pretty sure our listeners enjoy hearing how the blog came to be so I have a bit of an internet uh, browsing habit, specifically Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. And I came across this thing called the Dunning-Kruger effect. And this effect explains a really particular case, which is real, that happened in the States. Uh, there was a guy who decided to rob a bank in disguise after seeing a TV program about invisible ink. And he was shocked when later the police picked him up and arrested him with the crime. And the reason that he was so shocked is that he thought that the same way that ink is invisible, if you write with lemon juice, if you put lemon juice on himself, he would be invisible to security cameras. (laughs) Which is obviously not true. Um, but it inspired a lot of work into this idea of if people don't know that they're not good at something or that they don't get something, does it affect, like, do they think that they're actually good or do they think that they are realistically bad? And what they found when they studied it is people who had no idea how incompetent they were felt very proficient in things that they were utterly failing at (laughs) and people who had a very high degree of competency actually thought that they were average or below average because they assumed since it was easy for them it must be even easier for other people so the people who were really good at things knew that they still had room to grow and they assumed that because it must be easy for them it must be easy for other people. And the people who had no idea thought, well, I don't see anything wrong with what I'm doing, therefore I must be great at this. 
this is a very, very profound topic. Like, the more I think about it, the more my brain is like, I don't know, I feel like I'm on a high right now, but it's like through intellection. <laughs> no, I haven't smoked anything or popped any pills or anything like that, but wow, it's just, I don't know. I feel high, intellectually high right now. But we all start off at a point of incompetence, you know? Um, I'm pretty sure if you guys are frequent listeners to the podcast, you guys heard me talk about the four stages of learning. Uh, you have the first one, which is you are unconsciously incompetent, meaning that you don't even know the things that you are bad at yet or that you don't know how to do because you haven't learned it yet, you know? And as you start to take classes and learn things in dance or whatever it is that you're learning that's new, you become consciously incompetent. So you're aware of the things that need to be done. Um, you're conscious of them, but you still don't develop the ability to perform those skills. The third stage is then consciously competent. So now it's like, okay, well, this is what I need to work on. Let me practice. Let me drill. Let me train on this particular technique so I can become better. And you gain some level of competency. And the hope and the goal would be to train and practice and become so proficient in that particular skill, technique, or ability to where you become unconsciously incompetent. I'm sorry, competent. And you start doing things that don't take a lot of mental capacity or mental strength or mental focus. And your ability starts to increase. And it's relatively easy because you're doing things through second nature, you know, like it's just automatic, like automatic reflexes or techniques and things like that, you know? So you get to that fourth stage. And this blog, when it talks about incompetence to greatness, is kind of like that same aspect, you know? Like how do we transition from that level of incompetence to where we're completely clueless of what we are proficient in to on the other side of the spectrum, oh, now I'm at this place it's easier for me now. So if it's easy for me, that means it must be easy for somebody else. But they discount the path that they travel to gain that skill to get to the level where they're at right, th right then, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think we actually see that particular uh, forgetting in the idea of like the curse of greatness that I wrote about. So whereas the curse of incompetence is... Even if you, in theory, know something, you think that you're applying everything that needs to be applied and you don't know how incompetent you are. Mm -hmm. Whereas the curse of greatness is that you are accomplished at something and therefore you think everyone else must be able to get it. And with teachers, if they're not competent teachers, if they are just great dancers, they very often struggle with this. So, for example, if you take a beginner dancer you have to explain a lot more things about the movement to a beginner than you do to an advanced dancer. So that can be anything from how to rotate your hand for a turn or how to do a weight transfer or how to go from a close hold to an open hold. All of these things are skills that some people need to be taught. They're not going to come second nature and a lot of teachers assume that because they don't think about it, they're unconsciously competent at it, that it must be easy for other people as well. 
and it's not easy, especially when you talk about um, the greatness and that person taking on a, a teaching role, you know. Um, in the blog, you when you mentioned about the curse of incompetence, you talk about the enthusiastic beginner dancer who says he's going to be the best dancer in the city in four months because he's going to take a few private lessons, you know. And the enthusiasm is awesome. Like, we don't want to discredit that. We don't want people to... It's a balance, you know. We don't want people to, like, so be beating themselves up and it's like, oh, I suck. Why am I even trying this? Because I'm terrible at it, you know. And on the other side, we don't want people to beat their chest and, like, think that they have, like, this such large ego and then there's really no substance there to back it up as you mentioned in the blog you know so with the more and more self-awareness that they are going to earn and and gain through experience then you you have to kind of balance that out you know and it's it's really curious because these are kind of like the same parallels that we want off the dance floor you know like there's a quote that comes to mind that says Humility is a virtue, but timidity is a disease, you know? So it's one thing to be timid. It's one thing to be humble. It's one thing to kind of always be a student, but like still own your skill level and put your best foot forward anytime that you're dancing as you continue to evolve, you know? And I know a lot of my students, sometimes they get discouraged, you know, because like we all know the learning curve. At the beginning, you tend to kind of ramp up a little bit quickly, depending on as you become more and more self-aware, you know. But as you get to like a higher level, like it starts to plateau a little bit, you know. And those aha moments and, and skills and proficiencies and things like that don't come as easily. And so the growth is a little bit more of a of a grind, if you will, you know. And of course, we're dancing to have fun and things like that. Um, we want to have a good time. We want to meet people. We want to socialize and things like that, you know. Um, but I know a lot of people are sometimes a little harsh on themselves because they do want to reach that level. Um, but again, in another quote, and I'm pretty sure you guys have heard me say this before, any art that you embark upon, it's it's infinite. Like there's always going to be something to improve on. There's going to be always going to be something to work on. And another quote, because I'm on an intellectual high right now. Um, the basics are the first thing that you learn and the last thing that you master, you know, so it's really a, a process. And it, it kind of even makes you question what even mastery means, you know. For sure. And like the one thing that I would say is that the people who are struggling to learn things and know that they're struggling are very rarely the people that are suffering from an overinflated sense of self. Mm. So the this effect of incompetence, I don't see it in as much in people who are saying it's really hard for me to learn this thing. Like I feel like I'm not getting it because those people are aware that they're not doing well. They're aware that they have room to improve. They're aware that they still need to grow before they can say that they've got something or that they're doing well with something. But what I do see a lot more in this is people who come into a basic class, take a couple weeks and then think, okay, I'm ready for intermediate now because I can step through the basic on time. Mm -hmm. 
And those are the people where this effect really comes into it because like, it doesn't matter how long you've been dancing. It doesn't matter how strong a dancer you are. If you've only been doing a new dance for four weeks, you don't have it. Mm-hmm. And if you think you have it, you are not aware of your incompetence. And you talk about some tips later on in the blog on an advice on how to get over and get through those curses. Um, but I wanted to talk a little bit about um, the teaching aspect of it and I guess the the role of an instructor to kind of see these things, you know, in their students. And like in the blog that we talked about yesterday, like people have to feel good. People have to be feel welcome. People have to feel like they're progressing and things like that. But at the same time, like you don't want them to kind of stay in this bubble of ego, you know, and think like they're hot stuff, you know, and like just this awesome dancer, you know, and they've only been in it like four weeks, you know. And this reminds me of the blog that you wrote, Dear One Year Dancer, you know. So let alone four weeks that you mentioned, Laura, uh, even a year into the game is still a lot, you know. Um, I've been dancing Kizomba for a little, almost five years now, and I still question the way that I walk, you know. <laughs> and it's crazy, you know, because you just have this this awareness and like, I mean, doing these podcasts and, and standing in front of my students and teaching um, all over the country and things like that. It, it's really crazy. But like sometimes you just literally watch yourself in the mirror and watch the way that you walk, you know, and try to improve that. And your focus now becomes not so much on the, the quantity of moves that you know, but the quality of that movement. How can you make it smoother? How can your lead be that much more uh clear you know and and lighter at the same time one last thing that i'll mention here and then we'll talk even more about the teaching and the and the unconscious competency i took about 10 hours of private lessons when i was in europe back in april you know and they were teaching me some more advanced patterns and things like that and i felt just like a beginner student in one of my workshops when i'm teaching them the saida for the first time you know they miss their steps. They forget to disassociate their body. Um, their footwork isn't on point, so they have to be aware of their upper torso and aware of their footwork at the same time, you know? And it's a struggle for them because they don't have that mental capacity or ability yet, you know? And that struggle, that mental, that mental challenge that they had was the same way that I felt in the private lessons when they were teaching me more advanced things and challenging me in different ways, you know? And so I I really try to tell my students, like, you really have to love the process of learning. And it's, yes, you have to have fun, but when you challenge yourself and you push yourself out of your comfort zone, that comfort zone is going to expand and then it's going to encompass what you've been working on and that's going to become easy. And then guess what's going to happen? You're going to repeat that process all over again into the next difficult thing and it's step by step and you just have to keep doing that repeatedly over and over again it's not a, a a quick fix solution you know and even with myself sometimes i have to give myself a little bit of grace you know it's like put your best foot forward do your best today you know and still challenge yourself um but it really does help the the humility of the of the dance and and the process of learning and and 
kind of trying to communicate that to the people who are first starting out, you know? I, I understand that. I, I think I have a slightly different perspective on it. If I have someone in a class who's showing signs of not understanding that they don't have it yet, I'm usually very direct with them. Because mm-hmm. I rarely find that the dancers who are actually having um, this issue um, are so sensitive that it'll dissuade them from learning. Mm. Um, and if it is, I'm probably not the teacher for them. That's also uh, a very good point. So when I have a student who comes to me and they're like, I've been doing this for four weeks, I think that I'm ready for the intermediate class. I sit them down and I say, well, you have to go through at least the three month program. And if you're at the end of that and you've gotten the skills to a point where I can continue building on them, then we can talk about you going to the intermediate program. And if they argue, well, I've been dancing this, this, and this, I just tell them that's not Zook. It's not the same dance. We have different technique and we have different things. And you may be a very fast learner and you may be very talented, but I can't put someone who doesn't understand the basic fundamentals in a class with people who have been working on it for months or years. Mm-hmm. Flat out. Because you don't understand it yet. And you may get it after three months or you may have to repeat it a couple of times and you'll get there in a year. But... I'm not going to make an exception and put you in a class where you're going to be slowing the other people who have invested more time into this dance down. Definitely. And that's that's the, the full stop. If they're in my beginner class and they're taking a beginner class and they're complaining about it, then I just let them vent and live in their happy world. Um, but when it comes to people who are actually hungry to progress and are also suffering from this, that's when I'm generally very straightforward with it because it's the only way that people are going to realize that they don't know anything is if someone who they respect and someone with some clout says, hey, you don't have it yet. You need to learn more about this first. Mm-hmm. And they need to have that honest feedback, which you talk about a little bit in in the advice that you give to get over each of these curses. Um, before we talk about the, the action items and what you can do to make this better and help yourself, whether you're suffering from either of these cur- curses or know somebody who is suffering from these curses, uh, let's sink our teeth a little bit into the, the teaching aspect that you talked about in the blog. I'm pretty sure if you are a listener here, you know how passionate I am about teaching and instructing and things like that. If you've taken a class from me before or anything like that, you know that I really, 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 really love the instruction part of it. Um, I love collecting light bulb moments. Um, it's funny because in my workshop in in Columbia, South Carolina just now, I was pretending to be Mario collecting coins, but instead of coins, I was collecting light bulb moments. So as I helped the students and answered their questions and stuff like that, like I could see like the light bulb moment that popped on and I kind of like grabbed it from above their head. It was really funny, but... Um, back back to the blog. Um, so the unconscious competency, you know, um, this is I found myself in this situation sometimes to where because of your level, you can able to do things that just flow without understanding all the individual parts that like go into that particular move. And then you're asked, oh, can you show me what are you doing there? Like, how are you doing that? You know? And you really have to like stop yourself and like go back and really try to to break down 
um, what it is that you're doing and like, okay, what are the building blocks of this move to even make it possible, you know? Um, I think I used the word deconstruct before, but you told me like there was a better word for it or? It's a good word for it. (laughs) There's a better word out there. None springs to mind. I usually use the word breakdown, but. I got you. Same difference. And so you have these people that are really, really good at dancing and and the skill of teaching and breaking things down is different from the, the dance ability, you know. And again, like since it's easy for them, since they are suffering from the curse of greatness and they think that it's easy, that it should be easy for um, a beginner dancer to just catch on really quickly and understand everything that goes into that particular move that's a little bit over their heads, you know? Yeah, and I want to I draw a clear distinction here. There's teachers who are frustrated because they can't break down things and they know that there's something missing there. And then there's teachers who legitimately are unaware that this is something someone could have a problem with. Um, and the correlation that I found is generally the more talented the dancer is, the harder time they have thinking about the breakdown or deconstruction and understanding why it's a problem for other people. So the people who really, really struggled to learn something and it wasn't easy for them and it took them a long time to learn something are very often the people who are in the best position to say, okay, this is how you do this, this is how you do that because it's easier for them to recall when they had trouble with things. There are some very talented dancers out there who didn't have troubles that most of their students will encounter. So they didn't have trouble with weight transfer or leading was just this thing that came naturally to them. And there, there are people like that and same with follows that are just very natural when they step into a dance. And those people are usually the ones who have the biggest problems breaking down movements. Definitely. And there's one other division that I want to, to make too. There are teachers who are incompetent in both teaching and dancing. So... Mm. There's, there's a difference between somebody who hasn't educated themselves enough to understand that they don't know enough to teach a thing that they're teaching and a teacher who knows the thing but doesn't know how to break it down. And so if someone's a very great dancer, for example, from another style and they import over from that style, they may end up teaching techniques or things they don't actually belong in the style that they're now teaching because mm. they haven't gotten educated enough in that style. They think that they're competent in it. They think that they have the knowledge because they're a dancer, but they don't understand how it's different. It's like a language teacher goes into a class and they start t- teaching um, Portuguese in a Spanish class. Mm. Right. And so it's similar enough. And because it's similar enough, they get away with things that aren't necessarily correct. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I know this is off topic of the blog, but I I'm going to have to hire you as a, a mentor or something like that. Like so in the last podcast, you talked about like the three to one ratio of like the newcomers to help them learn. And like my brain was like, like fireworks in my brain for my part inside of me that really loves the instruction, you know? And then I read this blog 
It's really, really, really awesome. I'm going to have to come to one of your classes one of the days and, and watch you teach and see the way that like you break things down. Because if you write this way, I can only imagine how you'd run your classes. Probably fucking amazing. But um, <laughs> let's talk about, I guess, avoiding the, the curses. Now, was, it, was there anything else that you wanted to mention as, in regards to the teaching? I don't think so. I think we've pretty much covered it all. Okay. So let's take a quick moment to thank our sponsors. Have you been looking to level up your Kizomba, but you don't have the local instructors to take you there? Are you looking for something concrete to practice with your Kizomba partner? Or are you looking for Kizomba lessons that you can take on your schedule and the comfort of your home? If you answered yes to any of these questions, look no further. LearnToKids.com is what you need. Progressive, step-by-step lessons that you can take at your pace in the comfort of your home or anywhere with a solid internet connection on your PC, Mac, or any smartphone. New videos are added every month. You can try this awesome resource out 30 days free at LearnToKids.com slash podcast. After the 30 days free, it's only a low $15 per month. But again, the special offer for the Dance Your Heart On Fire listeners, 30 days free at learntokids.com slash podcast. You won't find this offer anywhere else. Learntokids.com slash podcast. And now back to our show. Um, avoiding the curses. And this is something that is not easy to do. Um, I don't, this isn't a simple topic. Like it made me question myself on both levels. Like, Am I incompetent about something in my skill level that I'm missing in the basics? And then at the same time, it's like, okay, well, if I'm great and things are easy for me, like I can't discredit myself and I can't also expect my students to just understand things at the drop of a hat, you know? Um, It's really, it's really, really important. But um, as far as avoiding the curse of incompetence, you kind of hit it in the first sentence and the thing is to ask for honest feedback and I've come across some instructors that really don't give honest feedback and it'll be curious to hear your thoughts about this Laura um, to where they give their students praise you know and and I guess we, we can even bring up the line of being honest and encouraging at the same time you know because you don't want to like be completely like a military drill sergeant and tell them like that was that was shit you know um but at the same time they want them to be aware um and encouraged and but still be honest about that feedback but i've come across many dancers in several dances not just kizomba or anything like that well the instructors will like give them this false sense of of skill you know and they go around and they're they're happy dory um, at the socials and things like that, but it, when like when you watch their dancing, they just you can tell like they're not, they they don't have it, you know. Well, I I don't think those teachers are ever trying to give false feedback. I think it is honest. Um, it's just maybe misguided in the way that they're giving the feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are students who suffer from such a cripplingly low sense of self esteem in their dancing that you need to be very careful about the things that are negative that you say to them because they already know about all the negatives and they're fixated on those. So you try to make them see where they're doing good so far. Mm -hmm. So, but then you also have to understand that there's dancers who you need that keep them tied to earth. And each student that you get is going to respond to a different approach for people who think that they're better than they are. 
the only way to keep them realistic is to consistently point out the things that they need to improve. And it doesn't mean saying you're doing this wrong. It means, okay, good, you're doing that. Now you need to add this in. And one pattern that I've noticed in people who really don't understand that they don't have it, they'll say, oh, yeah, no, I do that. Oh, yeah, no, no, I'm doing that. (laughs) And that's where you have to say you're not doing it. And if you can do it, why don't you show me? Because I haven't seen you do it yet. Mm -hmm. And that kind of puts them on the spot that they may say that they think that they're doing it. But if you say that you're not seeing it, it kind of brings back into focus that, oh, what do you mean you're not seeing it? I'm doing it. Um, and the other, the other thing about that is that there are dancers who struggle to see the difference between two things. Um, so I have a very talented dancer in one of my classes who for the life of him, he couldn't understand the difference between a broken frame and an engaged frame, um, when the arms were moving. Mm-hmm. And so it took a lot of time to finally get him to understand the difference between the two. It's not that he didn't want to learn. Um, and he thought he was mostly holding his frame, but he, he kept running into this problem where he felt like teachers were breaking their frame because he didn't understand the mechanics of what was and wasn't breaking frame. He had a false idea of what it was in his head. And so until you take the time to explain those things, people may really legitimately think that they're doing it right. And they may have reason to think that, but they need someone to explain exactly why what they're doing is wrong to understand where they're coming from, even if they're not stuck up or egotistical. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. And I know some of the people that listen on the podcast are instructors as well. And I don't know if talking about this topic has put you on an intellectual high yet um, in in a, in a dance vortex, if you will. But um, I love how you isolated the type of student, you know, like you're aware if the student already has a debilitating uh, hyper negative view on their dance already, their approach is going to be different than somebody who thinks like they're going to be the next Eddie Torres or Bruno or whatever dance it is that you're in. Um, but yeah, you have to approach those two different those two different students in two different ways, you know. Um, yeah, and the other thing is like, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, There's just one thing that I want to add onto that. Um, this, on first glance, this is going to sound really bad, but you kind of have to decide which dreams to crush if you have a student who's full of themselves. Hmm. So, if you have a student who has a dream or has a goal that I'm going to be the best dancer in Toronto in four months or 10 months or in Miami in two months or Texas in a year, Mm -hmm. right? I never go to those students and say, you're not going to be. There's, there's no net gain from that whatsoever. For sure. There's nothing positive that comes to it from either side. You might say, well, that's a really like, that's a really far reaching goal. I don't think I've ever seen anyone do that. Um, but try, because, hey, if they work their butts off and it does happen, then good for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you have someone who says, yes, I have this, and they really clearly don't, that's a dream that makes sense to crush. And I don't mean dream as in like, oh, my God, I've aspired to this. 
But if they have this impression of themselves, it really does need to be brought back down to earth for their learning to continue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, one of the things that you told me in the pre-chat really stood out. It's like how if you don't know what a bad lead looks like or feels like, how do you know that's not you, you know? Um, and it's just like I just see the word self-awareness in my head like flashing very brightly, you know, and just taking those steps to get the feedback and in in a lot of my classes that I teach like f- from the leader's perspective sometimes or even from the followers perspective it's like you guys need each other to give each other feedback to help you see yourselves because you don't know how your follow feels like sometimes I ask how light is your follow or how light is your leading you know and you can have your own self idea, you know, but unless you have a large pool of people to kind of compare yourself against, like you're kind of blind in that regard, you know. Um, and I know we talked about this, Laura Riva, about like the feedback that a leader needs and vice versa for a follower needs to kind of get to like a high level is it's a lot of feedback. You know, it's not just beginners. It's also high level dancers that need high level technical feedback for more complicated things, you know. Um, it's it's really, I don't know. It's really enlightening, and it's really, I guess, encouraging to kind of go to class and and try things and learn and and continue that process repeatedly. You know, so that way you always kind of have like as close of a of a realistic idea of what your skill level is and where you are in your dancing. So that way you can continue to progress. Absolutely. And, you know, I think one of the worst things that we normally do as teachers is ignore the strongest students in the class. Mm, preach. Um, I think that's one of the reasons why so many people don't go back and repeat basics. Um, so, like, I'm using my own teaching as an example here. Um, but with my students, I would say well over half of them. Mm-hmm do the introductory course at least two to three times and then take it in the other role. Mm -hmm. And I encourage that very, very strongly. Um, And, but the only reason that they do that is because each time that they come back, they feel like they get value out of it. And what I see a lot of the time is if someone has got it to at least the level that everyone else has, the teacher stops pointing feedback in their direction. And those are the people where if you give them one or two small things to work at individually, they'll run with it, right? So, Mm -hmm. for example, as a teacher, if you see someone is bored and they've got the step, go over and pick something that they're not doing perfectly yet and say, now you specifically focus on this. Don't announce it to the class. Yeah. Because then you're going to freak out the people who can't tell left from right yet. Mm Mm-hmm. But if you have a small enough class that you can point out to the people who seem like they've got it, how they can make it better, push that on them so that they feel like they're actually learning something. So they have something to attack next, because if they don't feel like they have anything to attack, of course, they're going to feel like they have it. For sure. They have no idea what's further beyond this. This is the basic. This is all you've told them about the basic. Mm-hmm. 
So why would they know that their weight transfer is too quick or that they're rushing that step or that they're not fully transferring their weight on here? They're not going to know that unless you tell them. Still on a dance high in my brain. That's good. Sometimes <laughs> silences are worrying me, but I'm like, oh, no, did I lose him? No. Uh, I don't know. I'm just kind of smiling at your ability to kind of break things down and stuff like that. Um, but let's go ahead and talk about um, avoiding the curse of knowledge. Yeah, like I think the the curse of knowledge is a little bit simpler to avoid than the the curse of incompetence because the curse of incompetence requires a really big sense of humility to recognize that you haven't learned something and to remind yourself that if you think you have, you're probably missing something important. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the curse of knowledge, you need to recognize and empathize with people who are struggling and be able to pinpoint what they're struggling with and why. So if you find it super, super easy to stay on time, you have to develop an awareness, even if you've never struggled with being on time, you have to develop an awareness of why these people may possibly be having a harder time with this than you did. One of those ways to do it is to like look back on your own journey and to see where you struggled and empathize with that feeling But the other thing is to look at it as a person who is really trying and to say, okay, there's something that they don't have experientially or awareness wise or something that's causing them to not be able to bridge this gap yet. And a really good way to kind of find that empathy is to go and do something that you're really bad at. Mm -hmm. So like, for example, maybe go and try surfing. I guarantee you most of us will fail really badly at that. (laughs) Uh, Or you can go try horseback riding or axe throwing, whatever it is that seems like it would be something really outside your comfort zone or even painting for whatever reason. For sure. Um, Playing a musical instrument. Exactly. And then you can be like, oh, (laughs) this isn't as easy as I thought it was this is actually really challenging. Or maybe you thought it would be hard, but you see people around you who aren't having any problems picking it up. And it's always a very strange feeling to realize that you're the worst one in the class at something. Mm-hmm. And it, it happens to everybody who's tried enough things in their life, but there's always that time that you walk into a class and you go, man, I'm really bad at this compared to everybody else who's never done this thing before. Yeah, for sure. And so that's, that's where you can really start to appreciate just how hard those people who can't figure out those simple things are trying to understand what other people are assuming is just second nature. Definitely. It's so much self-awareness. It's so much perspective, you know? Like when you say the word self-awareness on the, on the surface, it's like, okay, just like an easy word to kind of throw around but when you think about all all the different ramifications and and the depths of self-awareness that you can kind of increase upon uh, empathy comes to mind like being able to empathize with another student or another dancer if they're frustrated if they have a negative mindset 
um, if their head is in the stratosphere, like you're still able to empathize with them and kind of understand where they're coming from and how, what you can do to help them, you know? Um, and these are like all qualities that apply off the dance floor as well, you know? Um, it's like becoming a better dancer is helping you become a better person overall, you know? Like if you can empathize with somebody on the dance floor, I'm pretty sure it'll be that much easier to empathize with somebody else off the dance floor, you know? It's really interesting to see these parallels of of growth. And one quote that comes to mind is like, the dance is what happens in between the steps. And that's a big reason of why we even, I started this podcast, you know, because like sometimes we're so focused on the tips and, and I'm sorry, the, the steps and the techniques and and the moves and the patterns and all these kind of things, you know, but this self-awareness, this empathy, this connection that we learn, um, these are like life skills, you know? You know what I, I think? Like, I, I'm on board with most of the self-awareness movement, but I think that there's one thing that sometimes we forget mm-hmm. when we think of the concept of self-awareness. To me, self-awareness focuses on what you can do to be better and where the improvements are that you can make in your life and your mentality and your outlook and mm-hmm. your empathy. But I think if you're going to be a teacher, your sense of self-awareness is less important than your awareness of others mm-hmm. and your ability to put on somebody else's skin for the duration that you're teaching them. Mm-hmm. So for example, if you're trying to help a student understand a movement and they're having trouble with something simple, go through the movement and figure out how they made the mistake. Because I guarantee you, if you can figure out how they're making their mistake, you can fix it. If you can't figure out how they're making their mistake, then you don't truly understand what's wrong with what they're doing. Mm -hmm. That's the awareness of what that person is going through at that time. So when we talk about increasing empathy and all of these things, I would actually encourage, especially teachers, but everyone, to focus less on just their awareness of themselves and developing themselves and focus more on their awareness of relating to other people and how other people fit into the world with them. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the most powerful tool we have as teachers is understanding the different people around us rather than just understanding ourselves. Definitely. Very deep stuff. Probably a little off topic too, but no but it's it's related um but i like i mean it kind of even the title of the podcast dance your heart on fire um it's not limited to one dance or anything like that it's really about a lot of things you know and and i feel like as you build your self-awareness you know and you kind of have these skill sets you know it's that much easier to be able to empathize with other people you know and if we could have, if we could increase the level of empathy in the world, you know, then I'm pretty sure the world will be that much of a better place for everybody, you know. I agree. All right, Laura. Um, we're at the 45 minute mark right now, so that's perfect timing for the podcast. And I think we ended on a really good note on making the world a better place. <laughs> I'm not sure. If there's anything we can say to top making the world a better place through dance. I don't think there is either. <laughs> All right, my beautiful people, my beautiful listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. 
Laura, thank you so much for sharing your intelligence and your beautiful, eloquent writing. And I'm really excited to see where this goes for you. And this feels very inspirational for me, you know, like to kind of take time to kind of think about these things and not just um, about the teaching and the traveling and the things like that. You kind of take a step back and self-reflect. Um, but thank you for another yet wonderful podcast and I can't wait to do another one thank you for having me and uh, I hope you have a great evening alright guys we'll see you guys next week take it easy thank you for checking out the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast today be sure to check out neokizomba.com for links to everything that we chatted about today as well as some awesome free resources to enhance your Kizomba journey 